morning, church. How we doing? I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. Uh, I had the privilege of flying home Friday night during the thunderstorm. Did anybody else get to experience some excitement? And I know we had a tragedy. Um, Becky Kovar's sister passed away with Becky. Uh, Becky's still alive, but her sister passed away in a tragic accident uh, on, on, uh, around Blanco. I, I don't know exactly where it was, but they were swept off the road. And y'all pray for Becky, okay? Becky's part of our family. We love her. She's amazing. And uh, I talked with her at length yesterday, and she is, knows that her sister is safe with the Lord. And that's, that's good news. And I, I hate to start this morning with that kind of bad news, but y'all need to know that, right? Yes. And we need to pray and we need to encourage Becky in this season. Uh, have you ever had to do something you just didn't want to do? Have you? Maybe this week, maybe you're looking at your calendar and going, ah, I just don't want to do this. And, and just reluctance kind of keeps you. And sometimes it's the start that stops you. You might want to write that down. It's the start that stops you. I've looked at my grass as it's grown a foot overnight, and it's the start that stops me. The start from getting up off the couch and going and getting on the lawnmower has, has stopped me. And reluctance becomes that barrier that keeps us from really experiencing the greatness God has for us because God wants us to be engaged. Listen to me, church. I love you. You have been deceived for years. Let me tell you how. Preachers have told you to show up with what they're doing and somehow you'll be spiritual. Come to Sunday morning, you love God. Come to Sunday night, you love Jesus. Come to Wednesday night, you love the Holy Spirit. Come to visitation, you're bound for glory. It's just not true. It's not what you show up to, it's what shows up in you. It's your character, it's your heart, it's your desire for Christ. Now, hopefully, showing up these things will grow you but if that's all you're doing, then you're going to the barn and standing there and saying, make me a horse. You're never going to be a horse that way. And so it's about engaging our hearts and moving off the reluctance barrier. And I call it the barrier of me. The barrier of me. I am my worst problem. Anybody else agree with that? Not about me, but about yourself. Do you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, I am, I am my biggest enemy. Uh, Wyatt and I went to a conference this week in Atlanta, and uh, I didn't want to go to it, to be honest. I just didn't. It was called the Rethink, and it's all these guys in skinny jeans and fluffy hair, and I just ain't that. Of course, all my jeans are skinny, but that's a whole other conversation. And I didn't want to go, and Tara said, you need to go. And this is what she said. I love it when she quotes me. She, she said, I've heard somebody say that leaders are learners, Okay, yeah. It said, you need to refresh. You need to go get with a different tribe, and you need to hear different things about what God is doing. And so we went, and we had an amazing conference. I took more notes at that conference than I have in a while, and, and I can't wait to share those things. And You see those things showing up around here as God is showing us trends. Do y'all know that 80% of Americans are online on Facebook? Did y'all know that? Did you know that Facebook now has a spiritual leader who's targeting churches? And she's a pastor along with her husband in Gainesville, Florida. Her name is Nona, which is my grandmother's name, Nona Jones. I heard her speak, and it's incredible. Do you know that through Facebook Live, we could reach thousands of people for Jesus Christ and get them in groups? It's all about engagement. I didn't know that. 
And I took those notes, took those notes. But let me tell you something else more amazing about that. In my reluctance, I went, and right off the bat, I had a guy walk up to me. He said, you're Scott Weatherford. I said, yeah. And he said, do you remember me? I looked at him and go, no. He said, you taught a class at New Orleans Seminary 12 years ago that I attended. And I took notes, and I wrote down things, and I got ideas, and, and we planted a church, and now that church is 3500 a weekend. He said, thank you. I had no clue. And I would say it stopped there, but we had divine appointments and conversations. Wyatt can tell you about some of the conversations that God just set up just because I got off my reluctance and crossed the barrier of me and allowed God to put me in a place where he could speak to my heart and where he could motivate me to become what I'm supposed to be, not what I think I should be. You know there's a big difference? Did you know that? There's a big difference. But how do we determine uh, the, the difference between God's vision and our vision? How do we, we kind of navigate those waters about what I see and what I think I should be and what God sees and what God wants us to be? Well, I, I've got a little something to show you. This is from George Barna, who's a researcher and, and a writer and a great godly man. And he says, this is how you could tell the difference between human vision and God's vision. Do y'all want to see that? Okay, that's enough for y'all to do this. Human vision is based on trying to maximize our resources and skills. Human vision is based on that. Let me tell you a human vision statement. Preacher, what will it cost? That's human vision. Now, should we count the cost? Absolutely. God's vision is based on us being beyond our capacity. Oh, look at this next one. Human vision is based on accomplishing the most appealing dream. What really brings me delight? God's vision challenges us to accomplish an impossible or improbable dream. Hmm. Human vision is often based on what brings us delight. God's vision reflects on what brings him delight. Human vision is dangerous because it inflates our ego. Don't feed the bear. God's vision is dangerous because it demonstrates his power at work within us and our complete inadequacy. Human vision drives us to push ourselves to the limit. God's vision drives us to our knees in submission, humility, and obedience. Listen to me, folks. I want to say this in love. I've been on a run for about the last 30 days with no break. Just going, just working, just going, just going, just going, just going. And this morning I woke up and my absolute, I was drained. I just, I didn't want to get out of bed. I was tired. I was tired. But then I started thinking about you and I started thinking about this talk. And, and the Holy Spirit picked me up and put me on my feet, gave me a muffin, and I was good to go. <laughs> and it's, it's not about what our capacity is. It's what God wants us to do and wants us to be. I heard a guy once say, you know, I'd rather... Burnout than rust out. Have y'all heard that? And a guy said to me, well, either way, you're out. Well, I'll tell you something. You're going to be out either way anyway. Did you know that? You all are going to die. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you're going to die. Because it's true. But how we live is what matters. Because if you live all for Jesus, you will never die. You'll be more alive than you ever before. 
Human vision represents a, commit, a commitment we develop and pursue until we're tired of the battle. God's vision becomes an obsession we embrace until he enables us to fulfill it or he brings us home. Brings us home and leaves a legacy for someone else. Human vision reflects our cultural obsession. I love this one. Our cultural obsession. Size, speed, status, and success. Questions at this conference. How big's your church? Does it matter? Huh. Uh, how, how, how many books have you published? Does it matter? Does it matter? How successful are you? Does it matter? God's vision reflects biblical obsession. People, holiness, love, and transformation. Isn't that awesome? Just a little tip for you. I put that in the shout-out this, this past week. If you're not subscribed to the shout-out, please do. Would you please read what we write, please? Please? Uh, y'all, y'all could write this down in about two weeks. ScottWeatherford.com is going to go online. And uh, I'm using that platform to encourage pastors but I'm, I'm going to invite you to come join it because I'll be posting blog posts on that site and we'll be doing a podcast soon from that site. So you guys look forward to that, okay? ScottWeatherford.com. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> I needed something else to do. But I'm excited about how God's given us the opportunity to move beyond our reluctancy. This is compelling stuff. Now, I don't think there's a person in this room In fact, I know that there's not a person in this room who just wants to go through life, take up space, die and be buried by the old church. I don't think there is. I think every one of us wants to make a difference. Now, some of you are on the backside of prime. If you were in the meat counter, they would mark you sale immediately, reduced at great price, right? But that still does not keep us from having a passion to live our lives all for Christ. There's people watching you. The next generation is watching you. And you still have great influence. You still have great contribution. Your get up and go may have got up and went, but God is still working through you. And so we have to invest ourselves. And what really disturbs me and really, and maybe I'm just being too hard on myself, is that I don't think pastors have challenged you enough. I just don't. I think we've made it easy for you. And in the fact, just show up at stuff instead of really just be living that life that's on mission all for Jesus. These gatherings ought to be about worshiping King Jesus and about seeing people who don't know Christ come in and find Christ. That's what these gatherings are for. And then to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not to check off the box of some kind of, we placated our religious itch this week. Do y'all understand And it starts changing who we are. God wants to use your life for his glory. He wants to. He wants you to live out his vision. And some of you are looking at me like now and said, I would love to live out God's vision, but I have no idea what that is. Well, we're going to talk about that this week, this, this morning, because God wants to do something great in you. And the question is, will you cross the barrier of me? Will you cross the barrier of you? And say, okay, let, let's, let's do this. There's no better, nobody better in the Bible to look at than Moses. He was the most reluctant leader ever. He made three big excuses to God. 
and God dashed them all, and finally, God used him greatly. He could do the same for you. He could make you a rescuer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say this morning, and I pray that in, in my cloudy mind, you'll bring your amazing clarity and that, Father, we could somehow be challenged by your word and changed by your word, and, and we can do business in the interior of our heart that we might become more like you. Speak through me, Father. These people need to hear from you and not from me. What I have is nonsense and noise. What you have is life and peace. So do what only you can do. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Go ahead and take out your notes. You're going to want to write some things down. I'm going to give you some quotes that are not beyond the screen that you're going to write down, and I'll repeat them when I give them to you because I want you to harbor on those things. I want you to have those, as Dan calls them, those pithy statements that kind of stick uh, to the exterior of your heart. I want you to have those, and I want to remind you of the resources we provided for you on our website fbcwimberly.com, the group material. Many of you are using the group material. I encourage you to use the group material. Go on and see if you can guess where we filmed that. It's a pretty compelling backdrop of where we are. So it's very Wimberly. So you, you go online. And also, Swindoll's book, Moses. We're selling that. It's out at the back. We're selling it for our cost. I want you to pick it up. It is one of the best historical biographies on Moses that I've ever read. Now, I've been dealing with Moses for a while and reading a lot of different sources, and Swindoll does an amazing job of telling a compelling story of Moses that will draw you in and, and, and really work on your heart. And there's probably nobody about better at that than Chuck Swindoll. So let's look together and let's write down some thoughts. Here's the first thought I want you to take time to take captive. God invades the ordinary with his divine appointments. And, but we have to look for them. There's, there's a statement that, that I had playing sports growing up that said, especially when you're playing linebacker, you need to have your head on a swivel. Because if you don't have your head on a swivel, somebody's going to take you out. That you really need to be prepared. Some of you that served in the military knows what that means. You, you need to be aware of everything around you. Because God is everywhere around you. Everywhere. He's not confined to this building. Now, I believe God enjoys Wimberley probably more than any place else in the world, but he's everywhere around us. And we need to be aware every encounter you have is a divine encounter. The encounter I had with Tara at the breakfast table, a divine encounter. The encounter I had with little Ivy at her fourth birthday party yesterday with all them nine billion kids that were there, divine encounters. Opportunities at the motor show yesterday, divine encounter. The rain kind of got us, but the richness of connection was very evident in that parking lot. That God has put us at a time and place that our heads have to be on a swivel, and he invades the ordinary with his extraordinary. Let me read for us. One day, Moses was tending the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. Moses had gone from being the prince of Egypt to being a shepherd working for his father-in-law. That's just bad, y'all. <laughs> Jethro, the, the priest of Midian, he, he wasn't even a Jew. He was a, a Midianite. He led the flocks far into the wilderness. He came to Sinai, the mountain of God. 
And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Uh, many scholars says it's an acacia bush. We have those here in, in central Texas. And, it, and he was appeared in the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed with flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. I found this so fascinating to me that Moses encountered God at the burning bush and he was afraid and he covered his face. And later in Exodus, he begged God to let him see him. Because when you get to familiar with the holy, you cannot wait to gaze on his glory. But when the holy is a distant one, you cower in fear. I long to gaze on his glory, not to cower in fear. Because my God is a consuming fire, but the consuming fire is the marvelous display of his splendor and the glory of his grace. Whew. You see, Moses found himself in the school of the desert. 40 years of reflection, driven by his own choosing, driven by his own behavior. He killed an Egyptian uh, because he was torturing a Hebrew slave. People saw it. The Pharaoh heard of it. Moses ran away. You see, the desert is a place to learn the vanity of human resources and learn the extraordinary dependence on a holy God. Learning the dependence on a holy God. You don't believe me? Ask John the Baptist. He spent some time in the desert. You don't believe me? Ask the Apostle Paul. He spent three years in Arabia. Some people said that there was a Southern Baptist seminary in Arabia, and he went down there for three years. It wasn't southwestern, y'all. More southeastern, maybe even New Orleans. Who, who knows? Okay, that's where I went to school. You could ask, um, well, let's ask Jesus. He was 40 days in the desert. Although he was God. Let's ask the desert fathers. Alexandria of Hippo and even um, um, Augustine. Name escaped me, Augustine. St. John of the Cross. Others that experienced that isolation. That it may not be the physical desert, but it's that place of, of reflection. The place of honestly... Um, why don't you ask me, when I lived in the desert of Tallahassee, when everything was stripped away, the only thing left was Jesus and found him to be plenty, more than enough. I could ask some of you who've been the desert of diagnosis, the desert of grief, the desert of abandonment, the desert of addiction, you know the desert is the place to learn from God. Oh, how I long to live in the desert so I can experience Jesus. But I'm made for something else. 
You see, everything in your life is used by God to be used by God. Everything in your life is used by God for you to be used by God. Y'all might want to write that down. Everything. My dad was famous for giving me terrible jobs. While I was in college, I had a five-week break between semesters. It was in the summer. It was in Northwest Florida. It was hot. It was humid. It was disgusting. And I needed a job because I was going to come home for five weeks. I was in between apartments, and, and I was dating this girl named Tara, and, and I was falling in love, and I didn't want to leave Tallahassee. My daddy said, there ain't no reason for you to stay over there, no place to live. You come home, and we'll get you a job. Well, usually when daddy said he was going to get me a job, I knew it was terrible. I got home. He said, tomorrow morning, you get up at five and go out to this guy's got this, this place, this, this field out there. And you go down, turn down that dirt road and there'll be a guy in a pickup truck and he'll meet you there. I went, what in the world, daddy? He said, just do what I tell you. I said, yes, sir. So what it was, was they were clearing a sewage drain field, 500 acres and the guy was going to, you're going to work from 5.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon. And my job was to pick up roots and throw them into a back of a dump truck. Because I had a chauffeur's license, I'd work for Coca-Cola and I drove big Coke trucks. It's another great job my dad got me. Um, that I had a class C license, a commercial license, so I could drive the, the big truck. And there were five guys that got hired, five of us. So I thought, I drive the truck. It ain't going to be bad at all. You know, I'll sit in the cab, pull the truck forward. They throw roots in the back of the truck, and that's what we're doing, throwing roots in the back of the truck. Tuesday morning, nobody showed up but me. This happened for five weeks in a row. Five guys on Monday, zero guys on Tuesday. And I worked that job, made that money, went back to school, and I thought this was horrible until I started to plant a church and the people checking me out found out that I pulled roots for five weeks by myself. They said, if a guy pulled roots for five weeks by himself in a row, he could plant a church because he won't give up. God uses everything. Everything, the pain, listen, the pain is always, often your path to the purpose. You might want to write that down. The pain is often your path to your purpose. The misery becomes a ministry. The mess becomes a message. You've heard those pithy statements. But can you leverage this? Moses in the pain of the desert, an exile, a murderer on the run, working for his father-in-law, from a prince to a shepherd. God had him in a place where he could speak to him. Listen to this. And, when he, and then he said, Pharaoh calls you and asks you about your occupation. This is from Genesis 46 when the Hebrews were going into Egypt. You must tell him, we are your servants have raised livestock all our lives. For our ancestors have always done. Uh, when you tell him this, he will let you live in the region of Goshen. For the Egyptians despise what? Shepherds. Moses became what he despised. Some of you have as well, but I want to tell you something. God's got a purpose. God's got a purpose. And let him develop it. 
It's interesting that Moses spent 40 years working for his father-in-law in order to get the Egyptian out of him. And then he taught, brought the Hebrew children to the desert. How long were they in the desert? 40 years in order to get the Egyptian out of them. Sometimes God drags you to the desert to get the heathen out of you. And the burning bush, it's amazing. And I did a lot of reading about the burning bush, and I don't have time to tell you all of it, but I'm going to tell you some of it. The burning bush was not burned up, and the burning bush is still burning. It's still burning. Let me tell you about it. See, there's symbols in the bush. The judgment of God is the consuming fire of the bush, but the grace of God is God in the presence of the fire, not consuming, but refining. The thorny bush is the curse of sin. The first curse that came upon man was that the ground would produce thorns. Do we have any thorns here in Texas? Everything has a thorn, right? But that represents the sin, also represents the crown of thorns. This is according to Arthur Pink, who's a, a brilliant theologian. The attraction was the glory of the Holy One. As Moses turned to see what was going on, God's glory will always draw you into his presence in order to call you out of your complacence. Do you want to write that down? God's glory will call you into his presence in order to call you out of your complacence. Because when you see God, you will not be the same. Come near. Take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, I, thought, I found this to be really interesting because I know some guys who do this. They, they, they get to preach, and they take off their shoes, and they preach barefoot because we're standing on holy ground. you got to preach barefoot. And some of y'all are nervous now that i got my shoe off. I'm not going to throw it at you. I'm going to put it back on. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to put it back on on. I'm going to put it back on because those old shoes, they ain't fit for the new assignment. Because God says, take off your shoes of a shepherd and put on your shoes of a rescuer because how beautiful are on the mountains are those who bring the gospel of peace. Your old shoes won't do for a new assignment I have for you. Take off your shoes. And put on the appropriate shoes. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Having shone your feet, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, Paul said in the book of Ephesians. Y'all feel more comfortable with my shoe on than off, right? Mm. All of this is the great symbol of the bush. And it still burns. Put off the old shoes of the ordinary life and walk in the new shoes of the spirit. And God is the God of the living, not of the dead. We talked about Becky's sister tragically passing away. She is not dead. She's more alive than she's ever been. And I've stood with you in these few short years and, and cried hot tears with you over your grief and the loss of your loved ones, but they are not dead. They're more alive. My mama is in glory this morning. My daddy is in glory this morning. My mama is probably fussing at my daddy in glory this morning. He's the God of Abraham, 
Abraham means the chosen by God. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God who makes me new in Christ. He's the God of Jacob, the God who bears with us in our in infinite patience, never forsaking us, promising us to bring us to perfection. Y'all want to write that down? Nobody? I'll give it to you again anyway. Okay. God who bears with us in infinite patience, never forsaking us, promising to bring us into perfection. That's who he is. And God says, I have seen and I've heard and I know and I've come down and I choose you. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I've seen and I've heard and I decide it's time to act. And I'm choosing you. You. To quote Shakespeare, be he ne'er so vile who sheds his blood with me this St. Crispin day. The unkept, the unclean, the unqualified, the unburied, the unwept, the unmourned. I choose you. I choose you. Broken and marred by sin, I choose you. Arrogant, elitist, entitled, I choose you. Racist and judgmental, I choose you. And I will take your mess and I'll use it for my glory. I choose you. Wimberley Church, I choose you. I choose you to pull the roots of this valley and shake it for the glory of God. I choose you to give love and compassion to your neighbors. I choose you to light a spark in Texas that consumes the whole state with God's glory. I choose you. Choose you. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into a fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, my friends, I got to tell you this that after the heartbreak of the desert of Canada, the Lord whispered to me, he says, I'm taking you and Tara, and I'm taking you, uh, excuse me, of Tallahassee, the heartbreak of Tallahassee. I'm taking you out of there, and I'm going to put you in a spacious land. The first time we landed in Calgary, you can watch your dog run away for three days. It's spacious. And the first thing the Lord said, it's a spacious land. And I want to tell you something about Texas. It's a spacious land. Because the stars at night are what? Yeah. And we are in the heart of Texas. Yeah. Y'all gonna clap over that? <laughs> Gracious goodness. Mm, to a spacious land that's flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the, the Perizzites. I thought that was the Parasites for a while. It's the Perizzites. The, the, the Hivites and the Jebusites now live. Look. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen and I've heard the harsh Egyptians abuse him. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You lead my people out of Egypt. I'm choosing you. Huh. God had options of who he'd choose, but he chose the broken one. He chose, he chose the murderer. 
Some theologians said he was the stammerer, the one who stuttered. Y'all probably have heard that, haven't you? I'm going to talk about that in just a minute because that was an excuse, not a reality. If God waited to find a human fit to do his bidding, he would have had to wait to the end of time. Because y'all all dumpster fires. Right? Hmm. See, the true call of God in your life is always comes at, to expose your brokenness in his holiness. When he shines a light on you, you see who you are and who he is. Inadequacies, insecurities, and difficulties will surface as you respond to God. Why? Because he knows you. He knows you. I sat right there, right there, 20 minutes ago, feeling the doubt and the insecurities of what I had to do. And God said, suck it up, buttercup. Get up there. They need to hear from you. And you're a mess and you're tired and whatever. Just shut up and get up and go. So I did. I did. Y'all, if I wasn't so tired, I'd give you more. Don't think it. Thank God he was traveling, all right? But this is the thing. God wants to use you. Now listen to me, because I'm going to say this in love. It's interesting that God said to Moses, I am who I am. And Moses says, who am I? It don't matter who you are when you've got the I am working for you. It don't matter. I've heard this for 38 years as a pastor. Pastor, I know God wants to use my life, but I just don't know how or where. Listen, dear one. I wrote this down so I could say it to you correctly. Listen, dear one. My job is to equip you, not to assign you. I don't know where you're supposed to be. All these years I've carried guilt. You come to me, Pastor, I'm going to go work with children or go volunteer in the student ministry or sweep off the sidewalk or be a missionary to Africa. I don't know. And I didn't have the courage to say to you, I don't know. But I do have the courage to say this to you today. Get in front of God and find out for yourself where you're to go. Don't get in front of the dead gum preacher. Go to the bush that's still burning and listen for his assignment. And when he gives it to you, go. I'm going to here to help you, to equip you, to encourage you, to plod you along. But I am not your Holy Spirit, and I am not the one who assigns you. Every one of you in this room should be engaged in significant ministry to bring God's hope and glory to this broken world. Every one of you. Well, I just want to do something, but nobody tells me where. Go to God. Is that too hard? If it is, I'm going to give you a Canadian apology. Sorry. <laughs> Which is really not an apology. He knows you. He has shaped you. Beloved, grow up and go to God. You see, fear is the currency of oppression. Don't allow fear of, to snuff out the burning call of God in your life. The risk of following God is worth breaking the grip of fear. 
Now I want you to write that down. I'll give it to you again. Y'all ready? Fear is the currency of oppression. The oppression of your soul, the oppression of people. Fear is the currency. Don't allow fear to snuff out the burning call of God in your life. Don't allow fear to snuff out the burning call of God in your life. The risk of following God is worth breaking the grip of fear. You guys that served in the military, when you go into battle, were you afraid? If they say, no, nah, we weren't afraid, they're either crazy or a liar or both. Sure, you're afraid. When Tara walked down the aisle, I was scared to death. I didn't realize how expensive she's going to be. But you know, the risk of loving her was worth facing the fear. When you guys called me to be your pastor, I was scared because I have never pastored a First Baptist traditional church ever. I said, they're going to eat my liver. And some of y'all have gnawed on it a while and spit it out. I know. But God says the fear is worth it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind, Paul said to Timothy. Do y'all believe that? Mm. Reluctancy is no excuse. It's no excuse. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe or to me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord has never spoken to you? See, God gave him a clear identification of himself. He said, I am, I was, and I will be. I am, I was, and I will be. And then God gave Moses three powerful signs of his presence. He gave him a rod that turned into a snake. That's pretty cool. A hand from leprosy to being fully restored. That's pretty awesome. And water into blood. And all of these are symbolic, and I don't have time to go into that. And Moses gave three excuses. God gave me three signs. Moses gave you three excuses. I really, I really don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I, I, I don't speak so well. Really? Well, you know what Stephen said about Moses? Stephen, the, the first martyr of the church, gave his great sermon of the history of the Jews that ticked off the Pharisees and they killed him for it. You know what he said about Moses? What he said about Moses? Moses was taught all the wisdom of Egypt and was powerful in both speech and action. Somebody's either lying. Either Moses was lying at the bush or Stephen was lying at his martyrdom. I bet it was Moses. What do y'all think? Hmm. Moses was allowing the past to predict his future. He says, I am a nobody. And God says, great, I love nobodies. Your past is not a predictor of your future. You are not who you once were. Stop living in the past. It's called nostalgia. And when this church turns to nostalgia, we will turn towards death. We have to look forward to what God is doing, going back and being grateful for what he's done and living in the presence of his power and the promise of his future. Now that ought to got an amen, y'all. You clap over deep in the heart of Texas. Good Lord. And it changes us. 
We see God for who he is, and our excuses start falling away like fleas off a hound dog. They won't believe me, Moses said. God said, I don't care, because I believe in you. Somebody else will be better than me, Moses finally says. And so God sent his brother to join him. How did that work out? Aaron was the first youth pastor. Did y'all know that? Moses goes on a spiritual retreat with God up the mountain. He leaves Aaron in charge. And what does Aaron do? He makes a calf out of gold. And they start worshiping and all kinds of perversions. Moses comes back off his spiritual retreat. He sees Aaron in the middle of debauchery. And he's going, Aaron, what in the world? He said, I don't know. I just put in some gold and this calf came out. First youth pastor right there. Not Sean. But I, I said that to be funny. Obviously, it wasn't. I won't ever. I won't say that again until the next time I do. Okay. Moses was timid, fearful, hesitant, unbelieving, rebellious, and God used him. Does that sound like you? Let's read it again. Moses was timid, fearful, hesitant, unbelieving, rebellious, and God used him. Wow. So what about you? What about you? Will you cross the barrier of me? Will you say, Jesus, I'm yours? Will you live God's vision or human vision? This is what Paul, and I'm going to end with this, for we are God's masterpiece. We are created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. He's planned for us long ago. The bush is burning, folks. What are you going to do with this talk? Are you going to walk out of here and go, I'm glad that's over? Are you going to say, you know what? God's worked in my heart and my life, and I need to quit looking for an excuse if I can't find a ministry to, to get on my horse and find one. Whether it's through our ministries we have here, and there's plenty of opportunities. Maybe you need to try some stuff. Maybe you need to volunteer for VBS and just try if you like it. If you don't like kids and they don't like you, don't serve there. Or maybe it's something else God's cooked in your life. Don't wait for me to call you. Go to God and let him call you. Some of you need to get saved. You need to get saved because you're not. You've been playing church. And I'm going to say this in love. You're going to wind up in hell. And everybody's going to think good of you because you fooled everybody, but you didn't fool a holy God. So get yourself saved. And let's live all for Jesus. And I promise you this. I promise you this. I will continue to aggravate you as long as God leaves me here. And I think it's going to be a while. Because there's a whole lot more aggravation I need to give to you. All right? <laughs>